0: Hello, welcome to the Charity Impact Podcast, where we aim to help you to increase your charity's income and impact by sharing the experience and expertise of our guests. If you enjoy the podcast, please do give us a review on your podcast player, get in touch with me on LinkedIn and Twitter and share any feedback you have. I'm Alex Blake, your podcast host, and I'm joined today by Richard Radcliffe, legacy fundraising expert, who has been helping charities to develop their legacy fundraising programs for many years now. And has had an impressive 34,000 conversations with people about leaving a gift in their will. And I think that's that's where a lot of the knowledge comes from. It's that insight from speaking to people about their subject. And I know for lots of I mean, for lots of larger charities, this is a, a really sizable income stream. And for lots of smaller charities, it can be as well. But for lots, it's maybe something that they've not explored so far. So if that's you and you're listening, then hopefully this conversation will give you some insight into what this income stream is all about and how you can start to talk to your supporters about considering leaving a gift in their will for your charity. So that's the general idea of the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. How are you today?
1: I'm well, Alex. Although I have to say the weather's looking pretty miserable. But it's been such an odd year, isn't it? A whole year. The last few years have been really weird. Um, it's <laughs> oh, yeah. a joy to be with you, Alex. It's a joy to be with you and everyone else.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Weird few years, and not just the weather. No, <laughs> it's, lo- it's looking pretty sunny actually up here in Newcastle today. <laughs> <So we're, laughs> we'll take a, well. I won't take advantage of that. I'll be sat inside the office, but I'll enjoy having a nice view out the window. Okay, so. Where should we start? I think, understand that legacy income is growing fast at the moment. that would be useful to to understand some of that and to understand which charities are benefiting from that increase in legacies. It's
1: really interesting. You'd think after about 30 years of being in legacies and I'd be bored stiff by now. (laughs) Uh, I'm not, because actually legacies are growing faster than any other source of voluntary income. And they have been for about five years now and this is particularly relevant when we're going through a cost of living crisis because a legacy doesn't cost anything now but if you take the last 15 years it's gone from about 1.7 billion to 3.7 billion legacy income and it's due to double again to about 7 billion by the year 2045 so there is a massive interest in leaving a gift in will by virtually anybody of any wealth to any cause. And I say any cause, and it's it's interesting you talk about the large charities. Because yes, Chancellor Search UK last year got 261 million, but that was thanks to one legacy of 44 million pounds, which they hadn't expected. And so it's usually near a kind of 220 million. And McMillan is huge at about 90 million. And then we get maybe the more interesting causes because What is happening out there is there's a total change in the donor environment, which was really triggered at the beginning of COVID. And this is based on conversations now with about 2,500 donors since the outbreak of COVID. And this is one of the biggest changes. So everybody listening to this podcast, please take note. It's not just the big ones that are getting the legacies. If you look at your current prospects who are kind of anybody aged over 55, which charities have they got in their will? Well, it's really interesting that they tend to be going local rather than big national because it's more tangible. You know, if you're based in the northeast, you'd like to give to a northeast charity. And um, if you look at any of your current prospects, no, they're not just giving to cancer research. They're giving to education. They're giving to universities. They're giving to local charities. They're giving to arts bodies museums and art galleries are going through the roof at the moment with legacies in in current wills they haven't come to fruition yet uh, but they're there and also what i would call a causes which baby boomers and the silent generation understand better than previous generations that is the problems to do with mental health and to do things like campaigning because so of course a lot of the campaigning bodies are very new like greenpeace and amnesty and Friends of the Earth and Human Rights Watch, and all of those, they're very, very trendy baby boomer causes in wills. So it's a massive change in terms of what I would call the traditional let's support a cat, uh, but the cat's home and Cancer
0: Research UK and my local church. So it really is changing a lot. And the donkeys, they always get. <laughs> yeah. a lot of the legacies. Oh, God, yeah. If you
1: want a good le- legacy income, just buy a donkey for. <laughs> <to the> <laughs> but uh, last year, I think they got twenty-three million. But because I think they're really worried that actually, actually, or all donkeys, to be more correct, because that's the one down uh, on the south coast in Sidmouth, is yeah. the fact that, that traditional legacy giver is not really existing any longer. They're a dying breed, if you'll forgive the expression. Uh, So that is going to change a lot, I
0: think. Yeah. And so for organizations that are not really investing in legacies as an income stream or, you know, kind of thinking about how they make the case for that, what would you say? What are the sort of, apart from the sort of large potential income, what's the case for investing in legacies?
1: That's probably the most going to be the most interesting point of the podcast, Alex, because in a way, you put forward a case to the board, and you and they say, "Oh, when are we going to get the money?" Oh, "I don't know. How much will it be?" "I don't know." And it drives me bonkers, even after thirty odd years, because it is a vastly increasing source of money, which is usually unrestricted funds, which is brilliant if you go through a dodgy period, say fund uh, deficits, which is absolutely brilliant. The case to invest is in a way weak, in a way strong, because the average legacy is now worth about 45 grand. So just imagine, folks, if you've got one extra legacy, or maybe your first legacy at 45 grand, uh, because that would just transform you entirely. I think the interesting thing is you don't actually have to invest much. And this is what I think many smaller charities, and I'm not talking about the very small, I'm talking about the medium size and the smaller ones, don't understand is how much you can do at no or very, very little cost. So the risk is minimal, the investment is minimal, but the return on investment can be absolutely huge. So, in a way, you can carry on a legacy campaign really without any permission of the trustees, because what you're doing is spending nothing and integrating everything you possibly can under every circumstance into existing donor communications.
0: Okay. So I mean, the the question around the sort of unknowns of legacy fundraising the you know, the timescale and the amounts and so on, what can leaders do to evaluate or to forecast income or other sort of particular measures you can put in place to see how you're doing?
1: My view is that unless you're one of the really big ones, Alex, I think you have to treat legacy income as icing on the cake. Uh, The real trouble is there are loads of statistics for legacies, and they're all in a way – either an untruth but not quite a lie (laughs) because, you know, on average you die 6.8 years after your last will. But, of course, very few people do. Actually, the the result is that the real picture is that about 30% of wills are under two years old at death, usually for very sad reasons and an urgent will needed uh, before dying. Uh, But 30% of wills are out of date. Well, we say they're out of date. They should have been updated. Uh, and they are over twenty years old death, And this is where legacy fundraising is difficult because proof, actual proof is really difficult. So yes, you're getting a good return on investment after two years. You'll get a fantastic one after six to seven years, and an awesome one after twenty years. And yes, the average legacy might be forty five thousand, but you might get one of a million, you might get one of a penny, we've no idea, uh, and the smallest one recently was a penny left to the Red Cross. You just don't know. But there are different types of legacies which all your listeners might not be aware of. One is a cash sum. Sometimes called pecuniary, but you're not allowed to use that word. And that cash sum can be any cash sum at all. And that is popular if you want to slip 500 quid into your favourite charity that you're personally engaged with. But actually, the best and easiest gift in a will... Uh, is called a residuary legacy, which is any share percentage or fraction of what you're worth. Because You can leave uh, 90% to your wife and kids and 10% to your local charity. But that residuary legacy, which is any share, anything from 1% to 100%, is one that means everybody you love gets something. Uh, And therefore, in a way, it's a much fairer gift to everybody because you know that you're spreading whatever you die with in a way that you want to, and everybody gets something. But you know, the average residuary legacy, the average cash legacy, is now about five grand. The average residuary one is about seventy-five grand. So you can use those statistics, or the fact that if you yeah. add every legacy together um, around the country, whether they're cash or residuary or anything else, is the average is forty-five. So all the statistics are useful to give to your trustees to invest in legacies. But don't expect within the first two years a massive kind of 10 legacies of 45 grand each because it probably won't happen. On the other hand, it sometimes does.
0: Mm. We'll come on to how you might run a legacy programme and things like that. But first of all, who who are the best sort of prospects? I mean, apart from the age demographic, what, what, what should people consider? <laughs>
1: the older the better, Age <laughs> 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 It's really very simple. Yeah. <laughs> if you want the fast return on investment. I mean, I do think there's a bit of a myth out there because I'm not interested in young people at all, says I, at the age of 69. So I'm the perfect age of a prospect, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, And I updated my will two weeks ago. Um, you know, young people, you're going to wait 30, 40, 50 years for their legacy. Is it really worth doing? And my answer is absolutely not. The typical prospect, in a way, there isn't, but I would always focus on any supporter who is over 55. Because that is when we really begin seriously planning our will and who's going to inherit what from you know our estates. Mm-hmm. And estate is a bad word; it sounds if like you're terribly wealthy, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm not because my fees are far too cheap. Um, rather like you, Alex, really <laughs> um, and, uh, we'll be working until we're eighty-five. But basically, anybody over fifty-five. Now legacies are driven by loyalty. Really important point. So if you've got, and not by value of a donation, but the length of time somebody's engaged, because they love you to bits and they've been giving donations for five or 10 years, yes, most, most of them will leave a gift in their will because they want to continue their giving after their lifetime. So loyalty is important, whether it's a donor, a member, a friend, or indeed a volunteer. Uh, Because volunteers never give money in their lifetime, but they do leave legacies, strangely. Mm. So it is very (coughs) loyalty-engaged, focused on on engagement. It's also focused on being aware of the fact that you can benefit from legacies, because what we presume is that every charity is a charity, a charity. Now, it's not, because people only leave a charity something in their will. And many of you listening to this podcast might actually not be regarded as a charity because you're providing a service, because you have a membership scheme where everybody presumes all your income is from membership. If you're providing a service, they presume the government is providing all the costs of that service. And even if that's true, those sorts sources of income enable you to survive, but they don't enable you to thrive because what they're doing is paying for everything today. Now, if you are an ambitious charity and you're sitting there, you know, I'd love to help more people. I'd love to help more animals. I want to do more for the local environment. The only way you can do that is through legacies, because actually, it's an it's an unrestricted gift. It's a wonderful security blanket, but it is the one source of income that enables you to do more. If you have loads of audiences who just presume. That you're a campaigning body, presume you're a service provider, presume that their membership covers everything. You've got to come up with what we call a funding statement to explain how you're funded. And then when people realize that they, you can benefit from a gift in a will, that is when they begin saying, Do you know, I'd never thought of that. And if you take the 34,000 people I've met, it's amazing that when you come across these causes, whether it is education, Paid for by universities, for instance, by fees or membership bodies like wildlife trusts and others. And they sit there thinking, oh, and you ask them, have you put a gift in your will to, cha- oh, yes, I've put charities in my will. Have you put this organization in your will? Well, no, I didn't think of it because it, I didn't think of it as a charity. And the difference is huge. Because at the moment, about 50% of people over 55 have put a charity in that will. 50%, folks, listen, big numbers. Um, <laughs> But only 12% have put a gift in their will to what might be described as a service provider or a membership body or an education body relying on fees. Right. So the difference is vast.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the challenges for a lot of the organizations I work with, which are tend to be sort of smaller organizations and the vast majority of their income coming from kind of grants and contracts. So not really a sort of fundraising organization, is it is partly that, but also partly they don't have that sort of support base of supporters to talk to about legacies because they you know they're not really asking for donations and getting people to uh, come to events and things like oh, that.
1: This is so true. I mean, if you're working with a, a a local charity for elderly people or for people hard of hearing or people who are blind or or partially sighted, they just take the work for granted without thinking. Mm. This has changed my life, this charity, and I could really help them be here for future generations. And it is just so simple to integrate stuff into, I mean, I've just to give one example, I've worked for a lot of local Age UK charities, and everybody thinks they're a national charity totally funded by government, when in fact, it's the local Age UK that is providing the service. They, on average, only get about between 30 and 40% of their income from government. And when they discover that they can actually say thank you for a gift in their will or a donation, they get wildly enthusiastic their lives have been changed beyond belief and they've got a you know, wonderful social environment, they've got more assistance and guidance on how to get benefits and it just goes through the roof.
0: Okay, before we move on to how people can go about this, I've just got a couple of um, questions about wills. So <laughs> it's interesting to hear it's like 50% of people that do leave a gift in their will to charity is that figure changing much is that going up or is, it's it, is that stayed the, the same?
1: it it is going through the roof i mean it used to be um about 20 30 years ago it was about 20 percent of people who have a will put a charity and it's now mm. around it varies around the country because of course the northeast to be very different from dorset because obviously on dorset you've got the or God's waiting room, <laughs> uh, where the percentage of wills is far higher. Uh, but I think one of the problems is we only make our will every... Well, we're in the middle of reviewing this, actually. It used to be kind of every 30 years you made a will. So when you had kids, when you retired, mm-hmm. and then one, um, as the last will. But because everything's becoming so much easier to do and wills are becoming more understood, they're being updated more frequently. But if you take any part of the United Kingdom, about 50% of people, uh, no, about 60, sorry, 65% of people over 55 have a will. Once you're over 70, it's about 75%. And once you're over 80, it's 85%. Now, that's an important figure, but it's a figure that I'm basing on people who have something to leave behind in the first place. In other words, if you're broke, you have nothing. You have no home that you own to any degree or another with any mortgage. In other words, you're in council housing and you have no money. I'm not interested in them because they have nothing to leave. That sounds cruel, but it's real. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's you've just got the call to action is to get people to put your charity in their will. That is the call to action. Yeah.
0: Okay, so how do people go about doing this then? How because I think one of the things as well is that people are a bit nervous about talking about this sort of stuff with people, aren't they? If they're new yeah. to talking about legacies, so I
1: mean, no, I'm, how, I'm far <laughs> too nice actually because I always give away far too much information in a podcast like this. Um, but basically, the difference between donations and legacies, or events and legacies, or grants and Contracts uh, and grants and contracts. You've reminded me. The worrying thing is the short termism of some, of some contracts at the moment. Yeah. Suddenly you're having a one year contract instead of a three year contract, and you don't know where the heck they're going to be this time next year. Is why legacies are so good. But basically, the call to action is to get people to make their will. But you will never ask them for a legacy. Just sit back, everyone, for a second and think is it legacy a donation no it's not because actually what you're doing is dealing with a legal document that affects your family and you think about it often for years to see who should inherit what what should they get what do i want to give them what do i want to pass on to other people and my favorite charities as well so they do think about it but it's not something you talk about you know you might go online and talk about the amazing marathon you took part in or the great north run and how fantastic it was, and you'd be really proud of the event, really proud of giving it support and getting support for it. But you don't do that with legacies, for God's sake. It's a document that is legal. You're thinking about it, and you'll do it privately. So we always say that you never ask for a legacy, ever. You integrate an awareness of the need for and benefits of a gift in a will in as many communications as everybody possibly can, without boring them rigid. Now I'm not talking about doing a daily Facebook post. Uh, uh, exactly. That would come to lots of pretty deathly. Is how are you feeling? You know, <laughs> uh, if you're feeling really terrible and you're old, you to get it in. Your will uh, daily it does not go at all well. But I would be talking about it kind of every couple of weeks. As part of donor communications, because you sitting there as a fundraiser, sitting there as a chief exec, communications, whoever you are in any charity, you have not a clue as to when somebody's going to plan to make their will or go to their solicitor if they're using a solicitor. So the result is these little nudges of little bits of information to say, Did you know you could leave a gift in your know will to our charity uh, to help us be here for future generations? is something that should be frequently done just so people get it into their brain. I mean, the nudge theory is absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I haven't got time to go into all the nudges. But that, what you should be noting, everyone listening, please, this is another really important issue, is I started that with did you know? Because actually most people probably won't know. And they'll suddenly think, oh, I do now," And it's in their brain. But if you repeat it every three or four weeks or two weeks, that is when everybody begins thinking, oh, I must do it next time I update my will. Uh, because it's a little nudge, gentle little nudge in the right direction without putting any pressure on anybody at all.
0: Okay. So, this you would just pepper it across like all of your communication channels, oh. your website and emails and kind of all yeah. of those places.
1: I mean, you, you, you're about to hit another problem on the head, Alex. And that is the real trouble is that I have no idea which channel really works because I can't interview the dead. (laughs) But when I can, I'll feed it down to you, Alex, you know, just in case you live longer than uh, I live longer longer than I will. Uh, But the real trouble is we've got no absolute proof of anything because until we can interview the dead, we don't know the absolute truth. We know the older generations are more active than ever before on Facebook. But it is changing because there's a little bit of an uproar about loads of social media at the moment. But Facebook is popular with grandparents, so it can be a really good post. And I would probably just post a link to your legacy web pages. Please note, you should have a page on legacy giving on your website, Uh, because it can be really simple, because websites are being viewed probably three or four times as much as they were 10 years ago, because people are thinking, oh, Legacy to that charity. let's go and see on their website what they need. And if you don't have legacy web pages, they'll just say, oh, obviously, they don't need them. Mm. So I'm hoping you put some legacy information under the supporters tab uh, on your website and put your funding statement first. And then the fact that you can benefit from legacy. I think good old paper still works. Events work and telephone calls work. Uh, telephone calls as long as you don't ask for a legacy because that would make them put the phone down pretty quick and the line would go dead.
0: <laughs> Sorry, wasn't meant to be a joke. <laughs> Shall we maybe go through a few of those different yeah. channels and you can just kind of give a little bit of advice yeah, of around course. what would you do with yeah. each one of those? Yeah, of uh, course. So I guess they're all quite different, aren't they? So, okay, well, let's think, say we're a charity, relatively small, let's say like you know, kind of Under a million, but, you know, kind of at least half a million. So not teeny weeny, we've got a bit of resource. Probably don't have a a big fundraising program, but we've got some number of supporters that we can get in contact with. Otherwise, who are we talking to?
1: Uh,
0: So let's say that's who we are. We've put a page on the website that says, you know, we need to fundraise, we're a charity. Uh, Did you know you can leave a gift in your will? bit of information about that. Well, why don't we start there? What what's what's some of the basic information that needs to be on there? Like what yeah. it, what is it in terms of how it is it is it just like is, in terms of the stuff around leaving a legacy, like do people need to have stuff on the website around if you don't have a will, no, is this is how no, you go no. about I it?
1: If you're starting up and you're that kind of size that you're talking about, which is really a medium sized charity and there are loads and loads and loads and loads of them. I would have a very simple web page which just says, you can leave a gift anywhere. It can be any size, any type of gift, whatever affordable to you, but it'll help us be here for future generations. The only information needed by your professional advisor is our registered charity name and number, and here it is. Right. Uh, you're banned uh, in the Code of Practice from giving any legal advice whatsoever, which is really important because you're passionate charities and fundraisers and others who just want to secure the long-term future of your charity. So it is just making everything as simple as possible. And the more complicated you can get, you can become – once that's been up and running for maybe a year or maybe a year, you can give more details like how do you update a will, are there any inheritance tax savings, and go to the different descriptions of each different type of legacy and what isn't a witness to my signature, to my will, and all of that. But if I was starting a stage one legacy campaign, I would literally make it as simple as possible.
0: Yeah. And what sort of, would you share some stories in terms of the impact that previous legacies have had if you if you've had any if you've had previous legacies and you've invested them in something or maybe something yes. a bit more sort of hypothetical
1: i mean the, the two most popular stories at the moment because most people who are leaving legacies they're silent generation and baby boomers and they're pretty damn intelligent they want to know the, the use of legacies. so for instance it's brilliant to give an example of how a legacy has been used but make sure you don't give it if it's a really big one, because if you say, oh, we got a million, mm-hmm. we've only had one, like it was a million quid, everybody would think, well, I can't <laughs> leave a million, so, <laughs> gay gay gay. Gay. But, you know, we we had a generous gift in a will, and that contributed towards providing 23 people with, you know, social care or whatever it might be for the next year. Uh, and that would be, it is how legacies have been used is the most popular story apart from one. Now, on your website, uh, stage two, uh, maybe in six months, I would have what we call a legacy vision, uh, which is going to be one of the most important things you have uh, for your website. And that legacy vision is showing the impact of a gift in a will that you might receive in 30 years. So it's a dream. It's not, you know, strategic mission statement. It is a dream as to what difference a gift in a will could make. And, you know, it's 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 inspirational, it's tangible, and it gets people to think, my God, I could be part of that. That would be absolutely brilliant. And you might like to go to some local charities that have good visions. There are increasing numbers that are really good. But, you know, typically wildlife trusts are really good because we work nationally with the national body and also with 47 wildlife trusts. Uh, and they have a kind of framework for the visions for each of the wildlife trusts. And that's pretty good. But, you know, if you're a cancer research charity, a vision is so easy. You're basically trying to find a cure for all cancers within two generations of your, you know, of your fat current family. That's your grandchildren, a typical tangible vision. On the other hand, if you're a homeless charity uh, and homeless charities are increasingly popular in wills, What is your dream? Is it to get everybody off the street? Because we all know that some people want to live on the street. So the result is that that wouldn't necessarily be credible uh, because you will never get everybody off the street. It's rather like saying you'll stop child abuse. You'll never stop child abuse because there will always be those horrible, uh, mainly men, uh, who will continue it. So um, it has to have that credibility of of what you want, what you want to happen. It might be only reaching at the moment three out of 10 people who need your services. Our dream is to be there by 10 out of 10 and the gift in the world can make it happen. Yeah. yep, yeah, and that should go on your website.
0: Okay, and then some of the other communication channels, so you mentioned making phone calls. What, what would that conversation look like? Yeah,
1: you know, I say making calls. It would be integrating legacies into every single call that you might have with anybody, and that includes service users who are often so grateful for the service they've been given that they do want to leave a gift in your will. So in a telephone call I mean, two of the best questions you can ask is, by the way, just out of interest, do you understand where we get our money from? Hmm. Because that would give you loads of information on their presumptions. And the second one is, how do you feel about supporting us in another way, through uh, donations or even a gift in your will? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Because then you've planted the seed of the idea in their minds, which actually means... The thinking process is underway and then when they go and visit you on Facebook and say have a look at our new legacy web pages which is a great link just to go straight onto the legacy web pages on the new one then that is also done and they realize how simple it is so you know when you combine things like social media and, and web pages brilliant
0: and do you th- are there any particular sort of do's and don'ts in terms of Dropping it into those conversations because I can imagine people would probably overthink it and think, oh well, I should not mentioned it now because they've just given a donation, and I, sh- I should not mentioned it now because of this type of thing. Is it like any any of that sort of stuff that's genuine, or is it just like just drop it in there?
1: I think it's very gentle dropping it in. I wouldn't want you to annoy people because it's really easy to annoy people by overdoing it. Mm. But there's no difficulty, for instance, if you're writing a really nice email or thank you letter a taking part in an event or a donation. In having a little PS which says, did you know, could you leave us even a gift in your will? Whatever's affordable to you will make a huge difference and last long into the future. Is a really easy PS to put in an email or a good old fashioned paper letter.
0: Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, again, so it's it's more dropping it into existing communications rather than like sending a letter saying. Yeah. We're trying to get more people to, <laughs> to leave gifts in their wills. Okay, so it's, yeah, dropping it into phone calls, dropping it into letters and emails that are about other things, like yeah. thanking them for donation or for Absolutely. events or for volunteering. What else is there? Maybe like, I don't know, sort of newsletters, whether electronic yeah. or, or... I mean, the,
1: the Did You Know question runs beautifully in all newsletters. And that's whether they're e-news or whether they're paper. Their paper is kept, and electronic and digital art, not kept at the disadvantage of digital electronic accounts. I think what is interesting is so far we've been talking about various communication tools, and we've never mentioned a legacy brochure. And the answer is you don't actually need one. Mm-hmm. Because the only people who want one are people who are inquiring about a legacy, and you send them a legacy brochure. Well, why are they inquiring is probably because they don't know your registered charity name and number or why you do it. So the any information they need is a registered charity name and number and your funding patent to show the difference legacies can make, maybe backed up by a legacy vision. So the result is you do not need to invest instantly in a legacy brochure, leaflet, or whatever yeah. you like to call it, uh, because it's not something you'll mail. To end everybody, it's not something you'd have in the middle of a meeting uh, with some older people saying, here's our legacy brochure. Uh, But you might have it as part of a slide in a presentation that you were giving to people who are supporters. So the legacy brochure is not an investment need at all.
0: Okay. Uh, And if people get in touch and say they want some information beyond the sort of name and number, yeah. then you'd have stuff on your website that you would signpost them to. Or yeah. if you have like an annual report, impact report, that type of thing, you would just send them that.
1: Absolutely. The impact report is becoming increasingly important because it shows where you're getting your money from and your accountability back to the to supporters. So your impact report, as long as it's not 100 pages long, yawn, um, yeah. as long as it's nice and brief, uh, is really, really important. Um, and it shows you're being transparent, which is also really, really important. To be honest, that what you're trying to do is to get them to go to their solicitor. So the only information you might add to that is you've got a solicitor. That's the only information they need. If you haven't got a solicitor, phone us or email us because you can, you not don't refer them to the Law Society. You can go straight onto the Law Society website, put in the inquirer's postcode and send them a list of solicitors local to them. Write wills. So you cannot give just one it has to be a choice in excess of two uh according to the charity commission guidelines so the result is that you can follow that up you know send a selection of solicitors off and then what you can do is phone them up and say just checking you got the list and they'll tell you whether they've done it or not so it's just getting them to take that legal advice to make or update their will
0: Okay, so if you've got relationships with with a solicitor or a couple of solicitors, you mm-hmm. can't you can include them, but you can't just send them to exactly. the, the people I mean, that you happen to know, you you have to give them those sort of options.
1: That's absolutely true. The interesting thing is that you can feature one without recommending them, you can feature one firm of solicitors on your website asking what we call frequently asked questions. So if you have got okay. people who might have a number of needs of in in terms of awareness of what they should be doing with their money, uh, whether it is in terms of social benefits or anything else, you can have one firm or solicitor saying, you know, uh, how easy it is it to make a will? Really easy. Are there inheritance tax benefits? Yes, there are. But I'd get that done by a friendly solicitor. If you've got a friendly solicitor, especially if you've got money to see, it's even better.
0: Yeah. Okay, Great. I'm running out of questions, but I'm good. <laughs> I hope I'm not missing anything important. Is there anything you think that that we've missed? Are they the main points? I think that- they're
1: all the main points. Because if you're doing, if you're in a start-up situation for legacies, uh, take that first year just to begin getting people familiar with the fact that you need a gift in your will. You're not giving any legal advice. You're just giving them a gentle nod so they begin thinking of you. And the whole point is that everybody I meet says, just keep it simple. You know, this isn't how full of legal jargon and complicated stuff. And, you know, just the only thing I would say is when you make a will, people are under the impression that you have to list everything you own, which is a whole reason for not making a will. You have to list everything you own and then decide who you give it to. You don't because you might not own it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, um, you, so you just give the percentages, don't you, usually? You, you know, you... Of, the,
1: of who you want to benefit yeah. from, you will. It's so easy. And that's why you've run out of questions. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Actually, all of this at the very start is so easy. And once you're underway, and hopefully you'll get some return on investment, it will be absolutely brilliant. Then you begin seriously looking at a, what I would call a proper strategy and campaign and development.
0: Yeah, well, maybe um, but let's say you've done your first year and you've you've it's kind of raising awareness, dropping it in there, and then you're thinking, okay, what's the next step? What what can we do to be more proactive or to have some kind of strategy? What what are the sort of things people need to do at that stage?
1: I think I'd begin looking if you're a local charity where you can promote legacies in local community organizations and groups like WIs, Rotary Clubs, Roundtable, ProBus, uh, all of those, because uh, if you've got friends in those organizations, uh, they can work miracles and put free Lexi communications in a lot of their member uh, communications. Uh, I would possibly look at your brand awareness locally, uh, because often brand awareness of smaller charities is very low compared to the big boys like Cancer Research UK and Macmillan, who are the two largest brand. And people, if they're related to one of those services, will often just think, oh, Macmillan as a cancer legacy rather than the local hospice uh, or the local um, support service. So the result is that um, you might increase awareness in local community newsletters I don't think I would do much in the local press because the local press is failing miserably and and getting Mm. bankrupt in many places. But I do think that stage two would be doing a lot more with local community groups who like speakers and you can go and speak and include legacies. They all have member communication newsletters and you can put something in those. And that is when you're beginning to kind of get into the local network uh, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, and I suppose, again, it's, I mean, I suppose some of that could be, Proactively about legacy marketing, specifically where you're saying, you know, can can we place this in your newsletter and that sort of thing? But yeah. it could also be that uh, continuing that theme of just peppering it into things you're already doing, because it could be that the local WI or whoever, whichever kind of group it is, does a bit of fundraising for you, and you go along and speak at their event, say thank you, and then that's where you drop it in. And then it is the absolutely, it. Alex.
1: absolutely, yeah, spot um, on.
0: And also then you're getting, if you're coordinating those things, you're getting some cash now as well as (laughs) as thinking about the the longer-term legacies so people can be thinking about it as that sort of broader sort of community fundraising um, plan where they're engaging with those different types of groups. Absolutely. Yeah. And potentially, I suppose, some of the, if you're exploring corporate partnerships with law firms, then that could be a way that you, you add in, you know, we can promote you on our website if you can put together an FAQ around yep. um gifts and wills and things and like that. It looks that.
1: really good from their point of view to be featured on your web, you know, on your website, which is also yeah. really good. But also corporates have things like newsletters where well, you could put an ad in their corporate newsletter. Mm. Um and some, if it's a really big employer, they'll have pensioner newsletters and you can put a legacy ad in that, you know. So the I think it's just making sure that you match the charity to the target audience in the right way for each of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because what's right for a mental health charity might not be the same uh, as it would be for a charity for young people.
0: Yeah. Okay. Where would you suggest people might go to look if they want to read up a bit more on on this, if they're looking well, to get some more detail of their particular kind of books or resources or websites or training programmes or anything? There's a special
1: interest group which is now run through LinkedIn, uh, through the Chartered uh, Institute of Fundraising, uh, and it's got about 800 members. It's actually just changed from a Google group to a, to a LinkedIn group, uh, and it's failing miserably, but I think that's because of the way they've <laughs> set it up. But if you go to the Chartered Institute of Fundraising and look up the legacy and in Mem special interest group, you'll be able to join that. And that's probably the most useful point of interest. I wrote a book about four years ago called Why, Char- Why Legacies Are Good for Charities and How to Get Them. Uh, that's available through SME and Ford. Now, SME and Ford, you ought to look at their website. Just Google SME and Ford. It's where I started my legacy career 35 years ago. I ran it. Uh, and SME and Ford reads every single will after people have died and have done for 150 years. Uh, it's smeandford.co.uk. And they have some amazing information because a lot of the statistics I gave at the very beginning are all from them. Uh, they have an amazing set of statistics and insights, and a lot of them are free of charge. So you get a lot of information uh, to support your case to invest from Sme and Ford. My website, BrandCliffConsulting.org, has loads of blogs. I tend to blog quite frequently, but I'm horribly busy at the moment. Um, haven't blocked. Well, I blocked a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, and you'll always notice I'm very, very honest and open because I say what I believe in. Um, so uh, those are the main ones, I think.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, well, thank you, Richard. You've been really generous with sharing all all of that detail. Uh, is, is there anything that you want to say to the listener? Any kind of final thoughts?
1: Final thought: On average, you live eight years longer if you leave a legacy to a charity than if you don't. Is, is that um, true? Yeah, it is. It's one of those truths and untruths all at the same time. Uh, it's research that I started 35 years ago when I joined Smee and Ford and worked uh, in partnership with the Office of National Statistics. <laughs> but, uh, the, the funny thing is that legacies are given by everybody of any type of wealth. So legacies have been received for millions from somebody who's a one pound lottery player, let alone from high net worth individuals. Um, and we began looking at whether you, if you have a will, You you tend to live longer if you have a will anyway, because you've got Mm -hmm. something to leave behind, therefore you have a better lifestyle. But there is no difference really between... Uh, people who have a will and have a will and leave a legacy to a charity, but they do tend on average, average not guaranteed, to live eight years longer than if they did. So if, that's there you interesting. are interesting. I thought, thought, I thought that might and, have
0: been a joke <laughs> at first. I'm I'm assuming they haven't proven the causality
1: there. No, no, not <laughs> like
0: at all. That's an interesting start. Okay. Uh well thanks Richard. That's been really interesting. I know loads of people go get get a lot out of that and hopefully we'll take up some of the advice and start mentioning gifts and wills to, oh, please his, to do. supporters <laughs> okay uh, brilliant Alex thanks, thanks for, your for
1: the opportunity watching.
0: cheers no bye thank you for listening to this episode of the charity impact podcast thank you for giving us your time and attention I know how precious a resource time is I hope you enjoyed the show If I could trouble you for a further two minutes of your day, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a review on your podcast player via ratethispodcast.com slash charity. You can engage with us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Just search Charity Impact Podcast or search Charity Impact Podcast in your browser to find our website where you can email me directly and you can subscribe to our email list for the opportunity to submit questions for me to ask upcoming guests. You can also find all the show notes and the previous episodes and links to resources that our guests have recommended there. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening.